0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Let's talk about some real games. In fact, some that are getting going as of tomorrow because the World Para Ice Hockey Championships are going ahead. And they will have some fans, apparently, as well, taking place in the Czech Republic. And joining us right now is the captain of Team Canada and Forest native, Tyler McGregor. Tyler, here we are, still in a pandemic, hopefully nearing a return to a more normal life, but still a pandemic. How does this world championship compare to other world championships
1: it's certainly different um you, you know uh, just the just the environment i guess uh, and in terms of what you're doing what you do every day and how you're able to to spend your time away from the rink and and try and get your mind off off hockey um i'm kind of limited to the hotel rink and, and a little bit outdoor space so um that's that's certainly different but i mean at the same time it's it's been two years really since we've been here um, in 2019 and, and about a year and a half since we competed last uh, in St. John's in Newfoundland. Um, and, and so in, in many ways, it's it's so refreshing and, and nostalgic almost just to be back in a competitive environment and, and ready to compete at a world championships. Uh, it, we, we certainly don't take that for granted. I, I think we're all really grateful to to have the opportunity to be here. And, and we know the that, you know, not everybody in the world really, you know, has that luxury, and so um, we're gonna we're gonna try to cherish this.
0: Well, absolutely, it's uh, a little bit of normal in amongst a whole lot that still isn't all that normal. We've got some great local connections on the team. You, Corbin Smith, from Moncton. Uh, James Dunn from Town. when you look at you mentioned it's only been a year and a half since you've been able to compete but sometimes national teams will go through a lot of changes in a short period of time how the same or how different is the team
1: honestly we've come such a long way and and both on and off the ice uh to be honest and and as it relates to those those two local guys specifically um they're younger players on our team and um you know i've had the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with them over the past year and a half than than some other guys that uh out of province and and a little bit further away and, and i have to say since you know watching their development and then seeing their their progress um once we've gotten here uh we had a couple exhibition games against czech republic early on and the growth and the maturity and in, in both of those guys and and our other younger players as well has been so incredible. And um, I, I really think, you know, despite being in a pandemic and, and kind of being forced to forced into isolation and, and kind of train on your own for most of the past year and a half, um, it, in many ways it did allow us to come closer together as a team, as crazy as that sounds. And, and it also offered guys an opportunity to really, um, you know, focus in on – on skill development and and, and some certain things that some certain areas that we needed to grow. And, uh, and then when we came together, you know, you put all that uh, you add all that together and and we really kind of hit the ground running and and it wasn't long before we, we really started to develop some chemistry. So um, yeah, I, I love where our team's at right now.
0: Tyler McGregor joining us. From Team Canada in Ostrava in the Czech Republic getting set for Game 1 of the World Para Ice Hockey Championships. And it just happens to be against Team USA. And you talked about 2019 and Ostrava being back there. A gold medal game goes to overtime. They wind up winning it. How long does that live with you guys? Has that been there in your mind since 2019?
1: You know what? I, unfortunately to say, there's there's been a few instances um, like that, and, and so yeah, like that those those moments and, and those losses do kind of linger for for months, and, and and especially now that was that was really our last major tournament that we competed at, so um, it, it's kind of lived in the back of our minds for a little bit longer than than we would have hoped. But at the same time, what I will say um, to counter that point in, in, in any way. Is that? I think that extra break was almost a positive for us. Where, um, you know, the past few uh, World Championships and, and Paralympics gold medal games, we've been on the wrong side of them. And so for us, like, it's kind of just a step back where we got to focus on us and forget about the U.S. and, and anything that they were doing or the results of anything, and and really just improve as a team and, and come together and uh i think we did a really good job of that um and i think what's important for us uh you know obviously it's pretty exciting actually to to start start the tournament off against your biggest rival and your tough toughest opponent um so i think we you know i'm excited with where we're at and we we kind of need to approach that game with you know patience but also urgency um we haven't played in in a year and a half and so you you know you mistakes are going to happen and and some things aren't going to go our way some things might might really go our way and and so we need to kind of have that that short memory when we when we step on the ice tomorrow and um and leave our best out there and um and then make some some adjustments to where we need to as the tournament goes on
0: sports usually is nice enough to even though there might be an off season or a break between events usually it's not Two years, so this is something else for you guys to go through. What do you tell the young guys, being in the leadership role that you're in, about how to hit the ground running, how to come out fast? Because it's it's one thing to hope for it. It's another thing to make it happen. What do you tell them?
1: I think it's just about belief in yourself and, and belief in the team, really. And, and I think, especially with our younger players, um, and what I can tell you is being – uh, just witnessing it over the past two years um, the commitment and dedication to trying to you know perfections the wrong word but trying to perfect the craft it, it's been so inspiring and I, I think I think just having belief in in that process and, and what we've done to the, the commitment we've shown within within our, our program and within ourselves and especially those young guys um, just having trust and belief in that 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 it's going to pay off and, and in addition to that i think it's just about enjoying the the chance to be uh out of world championships in a pandemic um you know this is uh, you know correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think anybody is has has come to a world championship uh coming out of a pandemic or i guess we're not even out of it and and everything's gone perfect and so uh, I, I think it's important for for our younger players to understand that, um, you know, we gotta we gotta be patient with ourselves and 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 try to um, try to make adjustments as it go as we go. But I think sometimes, you know, understandably as a hockey team in Canada, we're we're a little bit too hard on ourselves when when things don't exactly go our way. And uh, I think that's kind of the message that, that I'll try to to, uh, relay to our, our younger players.
0: Team Canada's Tyler McGregor on the eve of Canada versus the United States at the World Para Ice Hockey Championships. Tyler, how much do you know about some of the other countries that are there? Has anybody really risen up in the last couple of years that you're going to have to be able to watch out for?
1: Well, yeah, so we've had a couple games against Czech Republic and, and we were fortunately on the right side of those and, um, you know, with the we actually are going to have fans in the building here. Uh, I believe um, 2,500, and so we actually play them uh, our last round robin game. And um, just based on the experience from two years ago when we were here, the the fans that they had in the building really um, added a lot of energy to their to their level of play. And so they, they've they've grown as a team. Um, Russia is back back in the mix this time, which is. Uh, great for our sport, and it, just in terms of of adding competition, and so, um, and then it's Slovakia's first World Championship here, and so I'm excited to see how they are. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, you know, obviously our biggest rivals the U.S., but those are those are two others, um, and and hopefully hopefully we have a, a good, solid tournament in, in terms of competition here.
0: I guess as a final question, weather and food. Whenever you're at an international tournament, both seem to come into play. Are you guys eating anything different, or or is it kind of salmon and pasta, chicken and pasta, chicken and rice, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I've never had so much pasta in my entire life. (laughs) Uh, They they serve that pretty much every meal. Um, And I'm a huge fan of European breakfasts, Um, meat and cheese, cheese, i'm a huge fan of that but uh but lunch and dinners have you know what they've been pretty good uh the restaurant here does a pretty good job of of preparing meals and um you know there's a been a little bit of variety but anytime you're on the road for weeks at a time um you kind of you kind of start to miss the comforts of home and uh you know looking forward to a, a home-cooked meal at some point i will say that but um, in terms of, of weather we've been so fortunate uh, I, I think much like at home we've kind of been going through a little bit of a heat wave here uh, that's been awesome because you know being kind of back and forth between the rink and your hotel room uh, you need a little bit outdoors time and, and so there's a little bit a little bit of an area where we've been able to get outside enjoy the weather we we, uh, we got a bunch of crates from the men's World championship in Latvia and so we have We have cornhole, we have spike ball, obviously a a football and some frisbee. So um, anytime we have a chance to kind of get outside and and enjoy the weather and and just get outside these these four walls, it's definitely an opportunity to take your mind off hockey, which is so important, especially at these short tournaments.
0: Man, it sounds – you're painting the picture of the Carolina Hurricanes and a few of the other teams with the Hurricanes did video on it last year when they were in the bubble and and they were going out to, I think it was BMO Field. And, yeah, it it was cornhole, it was spike ball, it was frisbee, it was football, anything just to get out of the hotel. Well, you get to it tomorrow in game number one. Tyler, best of luck. Go get this, and thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Oh, my pleasure, and and thank you very much for for the well wishes, and thanks for having me. Pleasure
0: to talk to you, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk to you. The captain of Team Canada for the World Para Ice Hockey Championships. Canada and the U.S. will play tomorrow, and I'll update you on my Twitter feed at Stubbs980 as to how that is going, or you can follow along through Hockey Canada as well. Tyler has had... uh, A really phenomenal story that he has created for himself where an excellent hockey player diagnosed with cancer ended up losing his leg and has now risen to the captain of Team Canada and they're coming off an overtime loss in the gold medal the last time there was a world championship in para ice hockey, and so they're back in the same rink, back in the same place. They've been quarantining for a bit, just playing a couple of games. Now it starts for real. Tomorrow morning, our time against the U.S. Please welcome someone who knows exactly how challenging it is. Our good buddy, Morris De La Costa. Morris, how are things?
2: Hey, Michael. Oh, they're okay. Not not uh, no problems. Everything is great, except for you know the pandemic and that type of stuff. But otherwise, everything is just fantastic.
0: We're getting there.
2: We're getting there. And we are getting there. We are. And you
0: didn't have to go anywhere this time around. Have Have you ever covered Euro?
2: Yes, I've covered it uh, twice, in fact. And um, it's uh, it. it I, I actually covered it. When it started to be held in different venues, it used to be you only held it in one country. And uh, then they decided to get other uh, countries involved. And in 2008, they decided to uh, do Austria-Switzerland, which was the first Euro I covered. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's what really started to travel uh, with the Euros.
0: Because they would have matches in different cities, and you have to figure out how to cover them all. Does someone figure that out for you, or do you have to look and go, you know, this one looks good. I think I'll go there.
2: I wish. You know, <laughs> uh, we, it's funny. The first one was probably the most difficult travel arrangements for me because I was covering it on my own. Uh, the second Euro I covered, I covered it with Mike Zeisberger and the three, and the World Cups I've covered. I covered three of them with those World Cups. Um, I covered two of them with Mike Zeisberger and one on my own, but... You know, the one on my own was 1986 in Mexico when Canada was there. Makes it for easy traveling because you're, you sit there in one, basically one city because that's where Canada is. The, the other major events I covered, the, the, the uh, soccer events I covered were much more difficult because we had no major teams. So you tried to get to the best games available. So it, it's, uh, we make our own arrangements because, uh, you know, we know what games we want to cover and it, it is, I got to tell you, it is very, very hard. You know, uh, I can't imagine what it's like doing this during a pandemic, because that must be even worse. But it's very difficult if you're a, a feature call rather than just a beat guy, because the beat guys stay with their one team. And when their team's eliminated, uh, you know, they either go home or they go on to cover the other games. So if you're just doing the best game available, it's it's difficult.
0: Normally travel, Morris, will give us planes, trains, and automobiles, and Steve Martin and John Candy gave that to us as well years ago. Was there ever a form of travel outside of planes, trains, and automobiles that you had to use to oh, get around yeah. to any of these matches?
2: Yeah, I had to hire a taxi once to drive me 400 kilometers, which was... 400
0: kilometers!
2: Yeah, it wasn't bad, actually, because it was in South Africa, and, uh, and uh, you know, for us... We thought it was a great deal, uh, you know, the, the, whatever it would cost me. I think it cost me about $250 or $200 to go 400 kilometers, and for the guy to wait for me to come back. And he thought he was getting a great deal on it as well. So it worked it worked out pretty well. Uh, in Brazil, in the World Cup in 2014, most of the travel uh to the, the Brazilian places, if you either took a plane, or if you were going from a major center like Rio de Janeiro to Sao Paulo, you took overnight buses, and believe me, that was a that was a real treat. You know, you're talking about uh you know eight or nine, ten hour bus rides overnight. You know, we have sleeper, yeah, they're not actually bunks, they're sort of chairs that go back, and so you leave a game at you know uh, you leave you, after you finished writing, you leave at about midnight. And uh, you ride overnight and roll into you know the city you're heading to or the city you've left. You know you're getting in there at about seven thirty, eight thirty in the morning, in time to go home and have a shower and breakfast. Then either head to another venue or do a game that's in the city you're in, whether whether it's Rio de Janeiro. So yeah, we've I've had some you know it's been interesting. I mean South Africa was one of the widest spread tournaments. I think they had seven or eight cities. And I took there were 22 flights in 34 days for me, so it was uh, it was an intre- <laughs> it was an interesting process. Believe me.
0: Okay, so 22 flights. Describe some of the planes then, because I'm thinking if there's 22 flights and there aren't always you know cities that are that far apart, and they usually save the little planes for that. Any time you ever had to start the plane, did you was this you had to get outside and push the propeller
2: no, but i 'll tell you some of the planes I took were these little i call them cigar planes. there are about twelve seats in them and If you have any type of phobia about enclosed places. It would be that would be tough, you know, where you're leaving from some, you know, uh, an airport that has a little runway, and you're going to your next stop, and you get into these things, and you got to bend over so your head doesn't touch the ceiling, and uh, you know the luggage is your basically your carry-on, and we I used to call them cigar planes because that was the shape they were in, and so you know you'd land and you'd take off and you'd go oh my god please don't let my family hear I'm doing this because it was it could get pretty scary.
0: Morris Delacosta joining us as we talk about travel at soccer events. You mentioned Mike Zeisberger, and I know that you and Mike and Kahal Kelly had a trip that you took together at one of these tournaments that, well, just like the Cigar planes, was not for the claustrophobic.
2: Mm,
0: that's the Fiat Panda that you guys got into.
2: <laughs> well, that was Z- Zai's actually, who's about, you know, 9 feet 11. He's really a tall guy. <laughs> Didn't go to that one. It was just Cahal Kelly. It was just Cahal and I. And so we basically couldn't get from uh, from Warsaw to uh, to the Ukraine. Uh, and I can't remember what city it was, but it was a seven- or eight-hour trip. We couldn't get there by train or by plane. There was just no flight, so we decided... We were going to rent a car. Now, trying to rent a car in Poland to go to the Ukraine was difficult enough because no rental companies will give you a car. Why wouldn't you give me a car? I'll pay for it. Ah, can't go to the Ukraine; they'll steal the car. I said, "What do you mean they'll steal the car?" No, nope, not renting you the car. So we finally found a company that charged me like an exorbitant amount, $400, I think, for the use of, of a car for one day. Um, and it was a, it was a panda, and it was, you know this, Michael. We've talked about it so often. It was. Like, You've shown me the picture. Oh my God! It was like, it was a baby egg or whatever you call it, robin's egg blue. And uh, Cajal Kelly, who drives a very nice car at home, he says, "Can you rent a car?" I said, "Sure." I got a car, rented, and so we walked out after I rented the car, and he looked at it and he said, "What's this?" I said, that's the car we're going in. And he put his bag down, picked it up, and turned to went back into the apartment. I said, hey, where are you going? He says, I'm not driving in that thing. I said, you have to drive or I can't get to the game. So I finally convinced him, and he said, you say, if you tell anybody we drove in this thing, and I swear to God, it, it, the top limit was like 70, it was 60 miles an hour, and it was all single lanes going through Poland, and then we had to get into the Ukraine, which was a three-hour wait at the border. And, you know, alcohol did was bitch for like 10 hours about <laughs> You know, I can't. I put my foot all the way through the floor, and I can't get it to go any faster. This is ridiculous. You know, it it was awful. And you, your head was sort of so low. You know, you couldn't. And and these big trucks, transports would go by, and it would shake it. You know, and oh my God, it was like asking. It was like really taking your life in your hands.
0: Morris Delacosta Costa joining us with some of the glamorous travel stories oh, yeah. of covering something like the World Cup or Euro as it takes place in all kinds of different places. And we, we get pretty lucky. I mean, you think about London, you think about the layout of Toronto, yeah. layout of say Calgary, you know, Edmonton's like this. Grids. Everything is a grid where you can yeah. picture where to go. European cities, they were just created bit by bit. So, they're not grids. How, how do you even know where you're going?
2: It's re- it's it's very difficult, you know. And and you just you know you sort of put it on a map and away you go and hope you get there. And fortunately, I'm not very good at directions, but some of the people I went with were very good. But you know, it's not just that. It's just that you know you're supposed to be organized, but really this stuff isn't organized. No, so you book your you book your train uh, a week in advance, and then we I uh, I booked a, a trade for. Um, it was Salzburg, Austria, and it was Poland versus Germany. And, uh, of course, uh, the Poles upset the Germans. And all there was going back on this train, which was packed, of course, it was all, even though we had reserved seats, it was packed. And people who didn't have tickets were jumping on. And so I was supposed to have, I was supposed to have a reserve seat. So by the time I got there, there were no seats left. So I showed the guy the ticket, and he started to laugh. And he says, You go get those guys over there. They've been drinking all day. Their team just lost you. Tell them to get out of your seat. I said, "Well, where am I going to go?" So he put me on a closed beer car. Okay, it was a car that was delivering beer crates. Okay, and it was, that was packed, and it had a bunch of uh, there was a bunch of Germans who were all upset that their team lost, and a bunch of Poles that were celebrating because their team won. And it was a sticky floor, and it's a seven hour seven hour trade ride from Salzburg back to uh, Zurich. I think is where I was going. It was by the time I got out, literally. I, I was drunk and I didn't have a beer. It was just <laughs> unbelievable. And you know what? And I, w- I was traveling with Kahal at that time, and he said, "What? What is this?" I said, "Well, you know what? This is the glamour, buddy. We're in the big times here. That's it." <laughs> all
0: right, then at least once you get to a destination, is the food available? Is there food all over the place? No.
2: So, <laughs> you know, the food is pretty. The, the food at the venues is pretty awful. You have to pay for it, of course. And usually the way, you know, UEFA works or FIFA works is the person that gets the food contract is the one that bribes the biggest. So, you know, like, once you've bribed those guys and you get the contract, you cut corners all over. Like, the food bill was outrageous for stuff that we would consider Swanson TV dinners. It was really awful, you know. (laughs) And so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, people who want to cover a World Cup and think it's glamorous, you know, it's great. Go to it. The good thing is that the soccer is pretty good. Uh, it's really a dream in, the, in that you're doing something you love to do. But, boy, you, you know, they don't. It's not like here or a Stanley Cup or whatever it is where they really take care of the media. Like, you're actually considered a person. Over there, you're one of, like, 5,000 or 8,000 reporters that are, you know, that they have to deal with and don't want to. So it doesn't really matter to them.
0: Wow, Morris Delacosta joining us. Morris, this has been great. Before we go, can I know you've told it before, but can we can we tell the story of? I think it was Mexico City when somebody booked you a hotel that had oh, a really nice lobby, God. and that's where the
2: nice ended. So that was the you know what? And you're thinking it was uh, David Scott, who was our travel writer, and he was in Mexico doing some. So I said, look, I've got to cover the, the World Cup in '86, and I'm and I'm in Irap- uh, I am in uh, Irapuato which was where the Canadian team was. And I said, can you book me a hotel? And he said, no, not a problem, you know? And so he went off and he booked me this hotel. And he said, look at it. And he sent me a picture of the lobby. Great lobby. It was the whole, it was just, it was beautiful. So he says, and guess what? It's only 15 bucks a night. Of course, I should have thought it's the World Cup. Who the hell is going to give you a room at 15 bucks a night? Anyway, (laughs) I was too stupid at that point. I was a a young kid, you know? So anyway, so I get there and the lobby is really nice. And they said your room's on the third floor, so I, I get up to the room on the third floor, and I swear to God, I, you know, I, I did not take my clothes off the first night. There was the light was a little light bulb hanging, you know, it was like I was in a ran, one of those ransom movies where you know they put you on the bed and there's a little light bulb hanging over the uh, hanging over the bed. You know, the the bathroom had the shower and the toilet all together. And if you showered, the water just ran into your bedroom. That's the way it was. And I got up, and I refused to take my clothes out because I knew I was changing uh, changing hotels the next day. I was not going to stay here. And so I called my friend from the Montreal Gazette. I said, where are you staying? He said, i got a pretty nice motel here. It's where the Russian team is staying. So I said, is there a room? He said, what are you calling me for at 5 in the morning? I said, go find if There's a room. So anyway, he went, and he looked, and he says, there's one room left. I said, take it. So uh, he took it. But I could tell you, I woke up at 3 in the morning, because I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom, and I turned on the light, and I swear to God, it was a cockroach, cockroach convention. There must have been, like, I don't know, 30 or 40 of these little buggers drinking beer in the corner or whatever the hell they were doing. <laughs> My view from the outside was the garbage chute. It was beautiful. You, have to, you know, like I opened the window to get some fresh air, and garbage would come down from the chute. But anyway, it was, it was quite an opening experience for the very first time I ever covered a World Cup.
0: Amazing. Well, you know what? Reading what you write, you would think you were staying in palatial estates. It's always phenomenal. So, Morris, thank you for grinding out those days to bring us the stories that you did. And we're still looking forward to more stories as uh, as you continue to work on the book.
2: <laughs> well, well not, you know what? <laughs> I don't know if I could ever write a book about soccer, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, listen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for remembering I'm still alive. <laughs>
0: Uh Morris come back anytime. We'll All talk right. again. Talk All to right. You soon. Bye-bye. Take care. That's Morris De La Costa, former columnist with the London Free Press and Sun Media and a guy who has covered a lot of international soccer and that's the kind of stuff that you've got to do. You've got to figure out how to get from A to B and if it means that you sit next to the spilling beer and the sad fans and the partying that's what you do. Yeah, if it means that you sleep on a mattress where no one's put down a sheet, that's what you do if you have to ride in the overnight car. I mean, you'd get in and you wouldn't feel like you'd slept yet. Hopefully you didn't miss the past month participating in One Run because it began on May the 18th and encouraged you to in some way go over 100 kilometers or even 100 kilometers bang on walk, run, cycle, blade, you name it and help to raise money in One Run of 2021. Joining us right now from One Run is Teresa Carrier. Teresa, how are things?
3: I'm everything's great, Mike. Thank you. We're getting pretty excited about the big finale.
0: Well, we're going to talk about the big finale to be in in just a couple of minutes but let's take a look at what you were able to do virtually again this year last year i know you had big plans and things had to change really quickly and you went virtual and it was a big success and i'm just i'm scrolling through all of the people involved this year who have signed up on strava and i'm looking at these numbers this is i'm still going the scrolling is Teresa. i'm still going it's amazing how many people have been involved
3: We are so excited and so pleased with the response we've gotten from the community. And uh, as you mentioned, our numbers have increased from last year's participation in the 100-kilometer challenge. So we are beyond thrilled at uh, how things went down this year.
0: So walk, run, cycle, blade, move in some way for over 100 kilometers. It always sounds daunting, doesn't it? But as long as you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm putting this over a month, though, it's uh, it's been it's been good. We uh, we've done it in this household, and I, I know your household has done it. And again, scrolling through this, so has pretty much everybody else on this entire list. Let's talk about the finale because this weekend you've got something extra special planned. What is happening?
3: We do uh, tomorrow, which is Saturday. We have ten survivors running ten kilometers each to just finish off the campaign. They were invited again last year, but because things have changed, were so mixed up last year. We invited them back this year, and we're just so happy to be celebrating good health with all those ten survivors. We just thought it was a great way to finish off a really amazing campaign, and to highlight the the courage that those uh, survivors had demonstrated, and and to share their stories.
0: So tomorrow will mark another one hundred kilometers in one run that's amazing now when you kind of set out and we're looking at at the number when this first began and 100 kilometers came up did you ever think that it would have this much of kind of a an impact this many years later that 100 kilometers you'd be dividing it up in in all kinds of ways and it would still be you know the thing because 100 kilometers still sounds really big
3: well, I would have never imagined how far we've come. This is our 11th year, and, and to know that there are more people involved just is is so fantastic to see the community just be engaged in, in our uh, One Run events. And as you said, you know, 100 kilometers seems so long, but... You know, uh, when a team comes together and uh, pulls the pieces together and with the support of the community, crazy things happen, uh, beautiful things happen. So, uh, again, this is what we call One Run Magic, and every year, uh, you know, our supporters don't let us down.
0: One Run has been raising money for Wellspring London and Region and Child Can as well. You can check out OneRun.ca. And, uh, Teresa, I know we said it last year at this time. Next year at this time, it'll be interesting to see where our world sits because maybe, maybe we can do this together again. What do you think?
3: Oh, that's what the team is hoping for. You know, we love going out to our high schools and to our elementary schools, and we've missed that for the last two years, so we're really hoping that we can bring those students back. And, you know, they're joining us virtually, but to be with them live is, is just something that provides us with so much hope and energy. So uh, my fingers are crossed. I'm saying my prayers, Mike, and hopefully next year we're back at, uh, back at the schools in full force.
0: Teresa, for anybody who had not ever seen what you do at schools, can you describe what a school will do at their track for one run? How does it work?
3: Well, uh, the, the students form teams of 10, and those teams complete 100 kilometers of their own through the course of their school day. And we do all sorts of activities throughout the day. The kids get really engaged. There's amazing events that they do throughout the day to keep the students there and keep them excited. And every year we honor someone in each school's community that's battling cancer. And the, the students are really, um, you know, to, to to know that they are impacting that family's life and their community really is empowering for them and they really uh, support it full force so we have incredible teachers that lead that and school councils and the students just pick it up and and run with it it's a, a beautiful event it's a highlight for all of us and it just brings back the hope that you know what the next gen- generation will do good things as well
0: well thank you for inspiring them in that way OneRun.ca and One Run finishes off tomorrow with 10 survivors running 10 kilometers each. It has been a great thing to be a part of. Again, Teresa, thank you so much for all of your time and all of your efforts and, and for all of the money that you have raised for this community, for Wellspring and for Child Can.
3: And, Mike, to you and your family, thank you for your support. It's been amazing. Thank you.
0: Hey, it it brings us together. It's it's hard sometimes to get teenagers out to walk or run or things like that. You give them a goal like this, and they're
3: the ones leading the way. It's amazing. Yeah, I love it. It is. I love it. Teresa,
0: have a great weekend. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. That's Teresa Carrier. OneRun.ca if you want to learn more. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.